you have your Bibles, I do invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're in chapter 1, and we're going to be walking through uh, verses 18 through 25, and the series that we're going to walk through over the next several weeks leading up to Christmas uh, morning, uh, Christmas Day, is uh, the characters of Christmas, and uh, I love this story, uh, obviously for a million reasons, but but I love how God chooses to use amazingly ordinary people in incredible ways for His redemptive purposes. And even as we begin the series, I think it's easy to look at Joseph and Mary, the innkeeper, uh, the shepherds. We're going to see all those kind of characters in this story. But I think it's so good for us to remember that here we are in the 21st century and God desires to use uh, amazingly ordinary people like, like us for His redemptive purposes. Like He desires to use your life in a major way to point the world to Him. And that's, that's what we're going to see all through uh, this series as we walk through. Uh, and in the weeks ahead, we're going to look at Joseph today, Mary next week, uh, the innkeeper, Herod, the shepherds, uh, and ultimately... Uh, celebrating Christ on Christmas. Uh, but today our theme is going to be around uh, God choosing this adoptive father uh, named Joseph. And the theme is the man that God chose to use. The man that God chose to use. Now all through redemptive history, we open our Bibles and if we read through the Bible, we'll see all through Scripture that God uh, just chose specific people to carry out unique and specific roles carrying out His purposes. My mind just automatically starts with Noah. And I think about how God chose Noah to build this massive ark in a way that ultimately will point people to salvation in God and God alone. I think about Abraham and how God chose Abraham. He chose Abraham to... Uh, to, to have a son named Isaac, but it would be ultimately through his line that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We see how God chose a shepherd boy in Bethlehem. How He, showed this, he chose a shepherd boy uh, named David. And how ultimately David would grow up and God would use King David to shepherd His people. And then our Bibles are full of uh, of, of, of letters and stories and truth written by uh, the prophets and the, the message they communicated and how God raised these prophets up to speak His message into a world that desperately needed God's truth. You go into the New Testament, you see Jesus uh, poking on the shoulders of 12 ordinary men that turned the whole world upside down. You see Him call Paul out of this uh, hatred towards Christians and towards Christ and how He transforms Him into the greatest missionary that we've ever known and how all through history God has raised up men and He's raised up women who love Him and, and desire to live according to His purposes to take this message to the world and point others to Him. And so today we are going to see specifically Joseph's role in the story. And here is what's um, unique as I've just been praying and preparing and, and just about this message about Joseph. It's honestly, in all of my 44 years of life on 
on this on this planet, I've never thought about this one idea that I want to share with you like I have this week. And here's the thought. I want you to think about this. God chose a ordinary man to be the adoptive father of the Son of God. And I want you to think about it. For me, it just landed differently. Because I'd never really thought about it much. But I want you to think, in God's calling out and His using specific people, that God in His sovereignty and in His providence, He chose Joseph, a carpenter from Nazareth. That I just see Joseph as this amazingly ordinary man, hardworking, lover of God, that God has chosen him to be the earthly adoptive father of Christ, the Messiah. And that's an amazing thought to me. And, and as I think about that, what I'm not saying is I'm not presuming to know in any shape, form, or fashion why God chose Joseph. But we do see the kind of man that God chose to use. And so I love what Isaiah said hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. The God, God says through the prophet Isaiah, He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I'm finding more and more rest as I grow as a disciple and follower of Jesus. By the way, we, we never stop growing. That we grow to love God, and we grow to love His Word, and we grow to love others. And as we grow, that more and more God is allowing me, helping me to find great rest in knowing I may not have all my questions answered, but what I do find incredible rest in is that God's ways are far above mine, and He is trustworthy, and He is good, and He is gracious. And so as we look at Joseph, I do want to say again, I'm not saying, I have no idea why God chose him, but we do see the kind of man God chose. And in God's Word, we do see God places a high view on the role of a father in the family. And that we see this all through His design in the family. And all of us, when I say the word father, there is an impact. When I say the word father, there is an emotion, there's a feeling, there's memories that just kind of sweep in. And, and for, for many, that, that, those thoughts or those feelings, they might not be the, the warmest and, and fuzziest feelings. Because it's very possible that there are some real wounds that run really, really deep. This past week, I had the opportunity, our family, we loaded up, we went to spend a, just a few short days with my dad. And as we were spending that time, it's amazing. Like We talk about things now that we never talked about when I was growing up. Uh, but we find ourselves talking and reflecting a lot about his, his childhood and his upbringing. And we were talking. And, and as we talked, I could hear the pain in my dad's voice still. My dad's 75 years old. And he, as we're talking, he, he shared about how his father was absent. He shared about how his father was abusive. He shared about how his father was an alcoholic. That when my dad was 13, his experience growing up was, was one of fear and anxiety. And he saw the unfaithfulness to his mother, my grandmother, and, and the way he treated his sisters and the way he treated him. And, and, and I never knew my grandfather on my dad's side. 
All we know is that he had a car wreck when my dad was 13 years old, and everything we know is that he was, he was drunk when he had the accident. And so I say that to say there's, there's, there's different emotions when we say that word, Father. And I'm so thankful for my dad that he didn't allow his circumstances to shape the type of, of dad that, 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 that perhaps he could have fallen into, but rather he resolved in his heart by God's grace to be by God's grace as good a dad as he could possibly be. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for my dad. But we can't look at Scripture and miss or, or even uh, misunderstand the importance of the role of a father and a husband in the home. That we see the impact, the influence, the responsibility that God has given and entrusted and stewarded to men to shepherd and lead their wives spiritually and at the same time to nurture and shape and pour into a child's life. To shepherd their children's hearts. And that as a dad, and as I'm growing, continuing to grow in that role, and I know I will keep on learning because we never stop learning. But more and more, I'm so convinced that my priority as a dad is not the academic success of my child, though that's very important. And it's not that they are the greatest athlete of all time, though if God's gifted them in that way, that's great. Didn't ever have that burden personally. But, uh, but that's not my number one priority. My number one priority is not that they get that degree and, and have, um, you know, uh, acknowledgments or achievements or certificates. Like, hear me out. Those things are good. Those things are good. But there's one thing that's more important than anything else. And that is, is that we nurture and pour into our children to love God and to obey Him. And this is the responsibility. This is the stewardship that God has entrusted to us. So we're going to look at this man that God chose to use. Now, I want to say this. Obviously, like Joseph was a husband and a dad, and we're going to look a lot at that. But I don't want uh, the ladies in the room or even the kids to just be like, well, this is, a, this is a sermon for the men, because it's not. Because what we see is Joseph ultimately was a believer and follower and lover of God. And what we're going to see in his life as believers, we should desire to emulate. Whether you're a mom, whether you're a, a, a husband, whether you're a father, whether you're like whatever, you know, young adult, student, whatever it is. Like, there's so much to soak in through the life of Joseph, who, by the way, it was reminded to me in our 8 a.m. service, we don't have a single recorded word of a word that Joseph said in the Bible. We don't have a single word. But yet he was a man of action. And this is what we are going to see and what we are going to be reminded of today. And so let's look at the man God chose to use, this Jewish carpenter from Nazareth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. I want to stop there because... Betrothed is, is, is a word we need to unpack a bit. It's not a word we use a lot today, but your Bible may say engaged or pledged to be married, your translation might say. And I think, as you can imagine, a first century Jewish uh, betrothal or engagement looks way different than a 21st century engagement in the West. Like they look, they look really, really, really different. And in a culture where marriages 
uh, at that time were arranged, which by the way, I just say we bring it back. Like I'm all about being able to choose my children's spouse if, if I could, but we're not there. Uh, but in that day and time, they were. Marriages were arranged. And in that culture and in that time, uh, the, the bride would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 years old when they were betrothed to be married, and the groom would be just a couple years older than that. And there were two stages of the, of the marriage. There was the betrothal or the engagement, and then there was the actual ceremony. And the ceremony would typically take place a year after the engagement. And so that, 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 that uh, ceremony, as you can imagine, was a massive celebration. But what a family would do is a family would go to the synagogue. The couple would make a public pledge to marry one another. And again, engagements in the West uh, serve more as a public intention, right? It's a public intention. I, I was thinking back to when I asked my wife to marry me. Um, you know, you, you get one shot at doing that in a... In a Memorable way, I guess. And so I had this idea. My wife was a missionary in Brazil before we met her, before I met her. And I was like, I'm going to propose to her in Portuguese. And I thought this was going to be a great idea. And so I found a Brazilian and I said, how do you say, will you marry me in Portuguese? And he taught me. And it's something like, Bolsa Casar Camigo. I don't know exactly. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. And so I was like, okay. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to propose to her in Portuguese. So uh, in Florida, we're in central Florida. It's wintertime. And so uh, actually, you know, it was jeans were, were, were appropriate at that time. And so I had my tall socks on and I had a ring tucked inside my sock, my jeans on. And we would go for walks oftentimes. And so here's Amber and I walking and I just feel this ring against my leg. And I'm like, OK, when am I going to do this? When am I going to do this? And the, the timing just seemed right. And I got down on one knee and I reached in my sock and I got that ring. And I, I don't know exactly what I said, but I said, Amber told me, I said, will you me? <laughs> I, did, I never got the Mary part there, uh, but she got the picture and said yes. And, and I'm thankful for that. But engagements, that's what they are. They're, they're a public intention. But in the first century Jewish culture, it is a legally binding contract. Like it is, it is a contractual agreement. And in this agreement, the groom would pay a, a, a dowry, a price to the bride's family. And in this next year till their marriage, which is really strange, in our culture, it's like you get engaged and it seems like you might spend even more time together because you're planning and different things like that. But in that culture, you actually spend very little time together in that year. And so in that year, it really serves as a testing of their commitment and fidelity to one another. And so this, would, this, this commitment, they would remain physically pure until their wedding day. The Jews placed a, a high value on sexual purity. And the reason why is because God places a high value on sexual purity, that God has a design. And in that design, that, that physical intimacy is reserved for a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage. And so there's this very high value of remaining pure for one another. And so with this as the background, 
There's no doubt that they were excited. There's no doubt Joseph and Mary loved each other. There's no doubt they were committed to one another, spending the rest of their lives together, and anxiously awaiting that marriage day that's going to come at the appropriate time. And in verse 18 again, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Before they came together speaks of before they were physically intimate as a couple. That she was found to be with child. The Bible simply says it was found out. We don't know exactly how it all played out. But you can imagine the emotions that swept through Joseph's mind and his heart. The thoughts, the hurt, the betrayal, the loneliness, the shock. I mean, if you're in a relationship, there's probably been some time along the way where you say something to the effect of, and the inflection and the timing and all of that means so much, but say something like this, we need to talk. Or, I have something I need to tell you. And what does that mean? That means there's something to talk about. And so, in this setting, I don't know exactly what it looked like. But all I know is that Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. That Mary was with child. And in that whirlwind of emotion pouring in his heart and his mind, it's been described as Joseph's worst nightmare. And I can only imagine there are two questions that are racing through his mind. Two questions. How could you and who is he? How could you and who is he? Now when we put the timeline together from Luke 1, Luke 2, that's oftentimes the Christmas account we'll read. But Mary, likely with that timeline, had months of processing. Again, remember there was actually distance between the couple in that time. And so in that Luke 1 account, you'll know she goes to see her cousin Elizabeth and there's this time of processing and all of that. So she's possibly had months of processing where Luke, or excuse me, Joseph is just discovering this right now and it's all really, really fresh. And in a moment when uh, many a strong man would have been overcome with emotion and would have uh, reacted We see the godly character of Joseph overcome these raw emotions. And he has a decision to make. He has one of three choices. Number one, now now, keep in mind, no angel has visited Joseph yet. Like he has no word from God yet. All he knows is Mary is with child. That's all he knows. He's got three decisions. Number one, he could publicly humiliate her. He could publicly shame her. That in that culture, according to law, you could have brought her before the religious authorities. According to Deuteronomy chapter 22, the potential of even stoning her for this act of unfaithfulness. If y'all remember the story of the adulterous woman in Christ, if y'all remember that scene, what did the, what did the religious leaders have in their hands? They had stones. Why? Because they were going to stone her. They were going to kill her. And so he, he could have gone that route for the anguish and embarrassment or whatever those feelings might have been. A second option would have been a private divorce. 
with a, a written notice and certificate, noticed by two witnesses, uh, and could quietly do that, and that would be just and, and, and right if that was the decision to move forward based on the law. And then the third was that he could actually marry, he could marry her. He could go through with the marriage. And, uh, and according to Exodus chapter 22, there was in the law, it was permissible to marry. But as you can imagine, most of the time you would think that it would be the child of the husband and wife that are going to be married. This is, this is a completely uh, unique scenario. And so in verse 19, the Bible says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. What kind of man did God choose? He chose a just man. Some translations say a righteous man. That doesn't speak of his righteousness or his just because we know uh, there are none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches our righteousness is like a filthy rag. So we're not talking about like he's got it all together and he's perfect. But what it points to is his heart. Every single one of us have a heart. And when I'm, I'm not talking about the organ, but I'm talking about the emotional heartbeat. And every single one of us have an emotional heartbeat where there is a throne room in that heart and there's reserved for one person to be of most importance in the heart. And that, that throne can be filled by different things. It can be filled by objects, hobbies, people, but it's reserved for the King. And it's reserved for Jesus. And what this is teaching us is that God was on the throne of His heart. His desire was to honor the Lord and all that he said and all that he did. He wanted to honor the, the law in the Old Testament that God had given. But remember, he is just and he is right. His motive is to honor God. So he has a deep compassion and love for his soon-to-be bride, for Mary. And what we see Joseph do is he chooses the path of love and kindness. Like love one. He chooses the path that would be least destructive most protecting and most preserving of Mary, even in the light of this moment that his desire to protect and preserve her, and he puts aside what other people would say about him. He doesn't care what other people say about him. What he cares about is what honors God in showing love and compassion in a very hard time to show love and compassion Joseph, in a moment where pride and ego and reputation were all on the line, he took the road less traveled. And Joseph was a meek man. And I think it's important that we distinguish meek does not mean weak. I've, I've shared this illustration before, but I think, it's a, I think it's a good picture because I don't know how many NASCAR fans we have in the house, but, but meekness means power under control. Have you ever seen the NASCARs run wide open and, and the, the pedals down and they're going, you know, 100 something miles an hour racing around a track? But when an accident happens, they go under caution and they're all kind of this minimum speed going around the, the track. And, it, and that's what I think about with meekness, because there's all this power under the hood that could go all the way, but yet it's reserved. And you see this in Joseph. Joseph was meek. He was humble. He placed the needs of others above his own, even the one who at this point seems to have been unfaithful with another man. Dan Darling says this, he says, we don't know much about Joseph, 
But we do know this. He was a faithful follower of God who would do right even when it cost him the most. So God shows a just man. He also chose a man of resolve. There was all kinds of opportunity for him to be mastered by unhealthy, toxic emotions. But verse 20, the Bible says, but as he considered these things. So in other words, he didn't just react, but he considered. Rather than acting out in haste and making a a quick decision, that word consider means to carefully ponder. It means to reflect. It means to process thoroughly. He's not just reacting. His emotions aren't getting the best of him. His life is not led by his emotion. His life is led by his heart to honor God and to love Him. And in verse 20, the Bible says, but as he considered these things, behold, and here it is, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I am convinced, it's my conviction, God can do anything He wants to Whenever he wants to. He can do anything, anytime, in any way. But in this situation, God chose to speak to Joseph through a dream. Now, I've found that as far as dream goes, like some people remember them and some people don't. So, who for the most part remembers your dreams when you wake up? Okay. All right. A couple people. Who are like, I don't think I dreamed at all. Okay. More more of y'all. So, evidently, their studies. Uh, but every person on average dreams four to six times uh, a night. And so that means nothing. But just so you know, we all dream. And I think some of us get the fact that sometimes those dreams are vivid. Sometimes we remember them. and Sometimes they stick with us. And so this dream was a dream that was vivid. It was a dream that was unmistakable. It was a, a dream that was memorable. It was a dream that was transformational. So God chooses to speak to Joseph through a dream. And I love how the angel approaches him by saying, Joseph, son of David. Son of David, what's he doing? He's reminding Joseph of who he is. He's reminding him of that royal lineage that traces all the way back to King David in Bethlehem. This is why when they called the census in the Christmas story, where did they go? They went to Bethlehem, the city of David, because Joseph was in the line of David. And so he's, mar- he's, he's marking, Matthew is, is marking, marking unmistakably that, that Christ is tied to the royal lineage. But if you've ever, maybe your dad or granddad said this, but like, have you ever heard that saying, remember who you, who you are and remember whose you are? There's that, I've heard, you know, several folks when they go out the doors like, son, daughter, remember who you are, remember whose you are. And I picture this almost like the the angel, God speaking to the angel saying, David, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And the angel tells him, do not fear. Why would would the angel say, do not fear? Because he must have been fearful. (laughs) He he had to have been. Every time you look in Scripture, when 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 an individual comes in contact with the manifest presence of God, Practically every time they are on their face mourning their sinfulness. Because you can't be in the holiness of God and not be just so keenly aware of your sinfulness. And what does the angel say? The angel says, do not fear, but tells him 
take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Gives instruction, take Mary as your wife. Take her as your wife. Because the baby growing in Mary's womb is the divine Son of God. Prophecy is unfolding in real time and real space. It's good to remember that, that, that there is no Christmas right now. Like, like this past week, many of you perhaps, or some maybe got it a little up before Thanksgiving, but, but the trees are up, lights are on, Christmas music is on. All of that is happening right now, and it's this... It's this signal that it's the season of Christmas and, and, and the birth of Christ. But we got to remember, there's no Christmas. Like there's been 400 years of silence since the last prophetic voice. And so Joseph is, is not thinking or even believing like that God would choose him. But that's exactly what God chose to do. The virgin birth may be completely familiar to us, but it was completely unfamiliar to him. Why would God choose him? How could God choose him? And in, in all of history, no time before, no time since, has a woman had the seed of God growing in her womb. So with all of this, Joseph's life is about to significantly change. And in verse 21, the Bible says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God is telling through the angel, Joseph, you are going to adopt this child as your own. And in that culture at that time, the father, the head of the household would name the child. And so the angel's like, remember who you are. And you're going to name that child. You're going to adopt that child. You're going to take that child in as your own. You're going to name that child. And you're going to name him Jesus. Can you imagine what was racing through Joseph's heart? The Messiah, the one that's going to take away the sins of the world, that's why we have a manger with a cross. Why? Because the whole purpose Jesus came was to die. It's the whole reason that He came. And so here is Joseph and he's processing all of this and how God would entrust him to name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And in verse 23, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Matthew's bringing it full circle, because when he wrote the gospel, he wrote primarily to a Jewish audience, but it's for, it's for everybody. But he's, he's telling the, the audience, he's saying, do you remember what Isaiah said? Eli just read it a few moments ago, over in Isaiah chapter 7, written 700 years, 800 years before Christ came. He says, behold, in verse 23, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in verse 24, the Bible says that when Joseph woke up from his sleep, I love the next two words, he did. God gave him a word, God gave him a step of obedience, and it's just like he, he did. He did. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and he took his wife. God chose to use a just man, one whose heart is pointed to the honor and glory of God. God chose to use someone who would not be mastered by their emotion, but, but, but rather would be uh, walk in wisdom and seeking and considerate about what God would want him to do and to have him do. And we see here that God chose to use an obedient 
man. And just like that, Joseph knew what God told him to do and he did it. Here's my hunch. I believe this. For every person, every person, there is a step to take toward God. There's always another step. I mentioned a moment ago, we never stop growing in our faith. We never stop growing in our walk. Like God's not done with this. You have a pulse, you have a purpose. God wants to use you for His glory and His redemptive story. And, and, and there's a step for all of us. That step looks different for different people. For Joseph, his step meant marrying Mary and understanding and receiving the fact that God is using him to adopt and raise the Son of God in his family. But we all have an act of obedience. And here's the truth about obedience. Rarely is it easy to do. Rarely is it easy to do. Oftentimes, obedience, it's always the right thing, but it's, it's, it's pretty much always the hardest thing. And so for Joseph, Joseph obeyed. He knew what God was calling him to do. It didn't matter. I love this. It didn't matter what people say. Can you imagine the murmuring in Nazareth and, and Bethlehem and everywhere along the way? Can you imagine the eyes that were being cut toward them and the whispers as they're looking at them? What were their friends saying? What were the guys in the, in the, in the carpentry shop saying to Joseph? But Joseph didn't care. It didn't matter what other people said. And it didn't matter what other people would think. He didn't question God. He didn't, he didn't ask God a, a litany of questions. He didn't negotiate with God. If we're all honest, have there been times in our life where our prayer time with God has felt and looked more like a negotiation table? In other words, God, if you'll do this, I promise I'll do this. God, if you'll just only do this, this one more time, I promise you, I will never, I will never do that. And I'm embarrassed to say that there have been times in my life where my prayer time has been more like a negotiation table than it has been a heart just and yielded to simply honor God and obey what He has called us to do. And so what does Joseph do? Joseph did. He married her. I don't know the time frame. I just know he woke up from the dream and he may have gotten Mary right then and Mary, come on, we're going to the synagogue. And like they go and they go back to that same rabbi and that same synagogue and they're like, okay, like let's have the ceremony. He, he, just, he just obeyed. He married her. And in verse 25, and we'll wrap up here, it says, but, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph is now processing his soaking. He's understanding this act of faith and trust in God. And this speaking of knowing her not speaks again of that physical intimacy. They went and they got married. And, and they, they reserved that until after the birth of Jesus. Why? Because Joseph didn't want to give an opportunity for anybody to twist anything around but rather that Christ would be known to be the true Son of God, born of a virgin. And Jesus did what God called Him to do. He called His name Jesus. He called their Son Jesus. Who did God choose to use? He chose Joseph. Why did He choose him? I don't know. But what kind of man did God choose to use? He chose to use a just man. A man of integrity, 
a man of sacrificial love, a man that his life, love and kindness won out over the strongholds of emotions that can rule and reign in our lives. In a lot of ways, Joseph's life points to the life of Jesus because Joseph was willing to bear shame for sins that he never committed, but rather he was willing to walk in that way. He was willing to bear the shame for sin he didn't commit. So Luke 2 reminds us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And so it's kind of hard to believe what Jesus was like as a kid or what that must have been like to be one of Jesus' brothers or sisters. But, but what we gather from the story is that, that Joseph was the first living, breathing example of what biblical manhood looked like. And a living, breathing example of what it looked like to serve the weak and care for the vulnerable. And that it was quite possible watching this through the life of his self-sacrificing, earthly, adopted father. And it's possible, we don't know this. Again, Joseph doesn't say a word. Or at least we don't have it in, in, in the Bible. But we know he obeyed here. We know he obeyed when Herod lost his mind and they traveled down to Egypt. And we also know that they would go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. And if you are familiar with the story, Jesus got left behind on accident. And he was at the temple and they went back and got him. But that's all we have. And when we fast forward to the cross, we see that, that Jesus is on the cross. He's being crucified. And He's speaking to one of His disciples named John. And He goes and He speaks to John. And He, he asks John to take care of His mother. Because it would be the oldest son's responsibility to make sure that mom is taken care of. And so in this situation, Joseph is nowhere to be found. And so all we can gather is that Joseph passed away at some point during the raising of Jesus. And it could be that losing his father might have been Jesus' first experience as the God-man to lose and to suffer in such a personal way. And we forget about some of the other brothers and sisters. Like, they thought Jesus was crazy there for a while. You can read over in Mark 1, 2, and 3. Like, they thought Jesus had lost his mind. But, but they, they were open and they came around receiving Christ as Lord. And James was one of those brothers. And James was a half-brother of Jesus that wrote the book of James towards the back of the Bible. But listen to what James says in James 1.27. He says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphan and widow in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Could it be that James was thinking back to watching his earthly father and how he lived life in a just and honorable way? How he was a man of resolve and how he was a man of obedience. And all we can gather again is we don't see Joseph showing partial treatment. Like, how do you raise a son that's perfect, you know, and your other children aren't perfect and you know, you don't want to do that comparison thing because that's against the rules, right? But, but all we can see is that Joseph was just faithful. He was just a faithful follower of God, longing to honor God in every way. He was a just man. He was a man of resolve, not driven by emotion or losing it flying off the rails, but controlled by the Spirit. God, help us to be surrendered to the Spirit Full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And that last one is self-control. And then he was obedient. 
I mentioned obedience is rarely easy. It's always the right thing, but it is most often always the hardest thing. So what is that step that God is calling you to today? I ask the same question to myself. God, what are you calling me to today? There's always a step. always requires faith. And it's typically not always the easy way. But what step of obedience is God calling us to today? And you think about what made the whole thing work. What made the whole thing work is that Christ was the center of Joseph's life. What made their family work? Christ was the center of their life. What in the world would make a family be able to hold together and navigate the challenges and the brokenness that we face in our lives and in our worlds? When Christ is the center, He truly holds all things together. And so can I just ask this question, whether you are a, uh, a teenager, whether you're a, a, even a young kid that's accepted Christ as the boss of your life, whether you're a single adult, young married, whether you're a, a, you know, an empty nester or somewhere in the between or a senior adult, whatever that looks like, May we ask the question this, is Christ the center of our world? And is Christ on the throne of my heart? And what step is God calling me to take in faith and obedience? And the whole story is not about Joseph. The whole story is about who Joseph points to, and that is Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, uh, thank you for Joseph. God, I'll never know. We'll never know why you chose Joseph. We rest that your ways are far above our ways. But God, we do see the qualities that are only possible through his life because of your grace. And God, we are all in desperate need of your grace. And so God, I pray that you will, you will inspire us and strengthen us and empower us to live in a just and right way. We're going to mess up. We're not perfect. Nobody is. But there is, a, there is a motivation of the heart that drives our lives. And God, I pray that motivation of our life, regardless of our age, would simply be to want to honor You and to love You and to love others. And that is what we see in Joseph's life. God, we, we pray, God, for those less than ideal circumstances that bring shockwaves into our lives. This was a level of shock that Joseph processed, but yet in it, as he considered, you were right there to meet him where he is, to carry him along, to ultimately reveal what you were calling him to do. So God, I pray, God, help us in the moments of shock and struggle and wrestle. And God, I pray like Joseph, we would find ourselves willing and able to take that step of faith, that step of obedience, that step into what may be the unknown, that step into where there are all the blanks aren't filled in. But we know that we know that we know that we know that you are calling us to this step. God, may we be marked by courageous obedience. And God, perhaps that step today might be beginning a relationship with you. Because that's the only way we're saved, is through a relationship with you. That Father, we would acknowledge our need. And God, that 
that perhaps today there is a sinner in need of a Savior and acknowledging their sin, understanding that sin separates us from our holy God, but you love the world so much that you gave your son Jesus. It's what Christmas is all about. We're reminded that you were born to die, that you lived a perfect life, you died on a cross, and you rose from the dead, and that all of those who place their faith and trust in you as Lord God, you promise to save. You tell us in the Word that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Perhaps that's that step. Or maybe for another, it might be you have that relationship with Jesus, but like Clayton, you haven't taken that step of obedience and maybe that step of obedience is baptism. And that today would be that day that you take that step to honor the Lord or whatever it might be, whether it's a random act of kindness that you know God is stirring in your heart or a a move or a trust, God, whatever that looks like, God, that you will grant the grace and the strength to make it. So God, we thank you for the example of Joseph. And we're humbled that you invite us to play a part in your redemptive story and your redemptive history. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to invite you to stand. And as we do, we're just going to have a song of response. And if we can pray for you, we're here for you. And uh, if you just want to make an altar right there where you're at to pray the Lord, the encouragement is let's just lay our hearts bare before the Lord and, and honor whatever that next step might be that He's calling us to.